How's your March Madness bracket doing? Anyone watching the college, the college basketball? So Oral Roberts beat Ohio State. Purdue fans, you know, do you know where North Texas is now? Maybe. And then I wake up this morning and some little school called Abilene Christian beat Texas. I picked Texas and Ohio State for my final four. Blown to pieces. I just thought, those little Christian schools blew my bracket to pieces, which I thought was kind of... Then I saw Oral Roberts, all they were praying after the service. I thought that was pretty cool. So anyway, some of you are like, March Madness? What are you talking about? Just talk to Josh after the service. He can explain that to you. This morning, we're going to talk about relationships. So... Think about your relationships. I mean, so we've been talking, uh, last week was about marriage. A couple weeks ago, we talked uh, about relationship to government, civil authorities, kind of workplace type things. And so today is more general. Today also encompasses our relationship with those who don't treat us real well, maybe give us some evil, some insults. And so we're going to look into that in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 8. So I'm excited for it, looking forward to it. So one of our core values at Wawasee Bible is we all need friends. So to be a friend, we uh, have friends, we need to be friends, goes the old common saying. God's word has a lot to say about this, that we all need each other. We're not meant to live the Christian life alone. We're not meant to live life alone, period. If you are following along with the little outline, a piece of paper that you could have grabbed on the way in, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, you're watching online, welcome to you this morning. There's five verses in 8 through 12, and there's one word that pops up five different times. So when you're reading the Bible, you should always kind of try to hone in like, oh, that, that repeated, that repeated again, repeated again. So can anyone shout out? It kind of took me by surprise well, what's the one word that shows up five times in these five verses? Evil. evil. And that kind of struck me as strange, like evil? When we're talking about relationships, sympathy, um, unity of mind, humble. And so I, as I looked at this passage more, and I looked a little bit at the passage Josh will be preaching from next week, the word evil appears five times in five verses, The words good and evil show up six times in these 10 verses. And so as I thought more, that surrounds this passage about relationships. So it's a reminder for us today as we open God's word that in spite of all the psychological categories that are in our world today, whether introvert, extrovert, sanguine, phlegmatic, and all the different personality tests, personality types, and the ways people communicate, that God still has just two basic positions that he wants us, that this is reality. It's good versus evil. That's what's always happening. It's Jesus versus Satan. Righteousness versus sin. Good versus evil. That it's being worked out not only in our individual lives, but of course in our relationships. An easy example of this would be forgiveness. Whether it had one little home, one little relationship, let's say in the, the little town of Milford, the little town of Syracuse, where you have two people and there, there's, a, there's a broken relationship there, 
And when one person says, well, I'm going to give myself to hatred, I hate that person, I'm going to gossip about them, I'm going to tell the whole world how bad they are, which kingdom does that increase? Does that increase darkness or light? But if that person says, you know, I'm going to forgive them, I'm going to say I forgive them, and I'm going to love them, I'm going to bless them, I'm going to speak no evil of that person, which kingdom advances then? Who's cheering, the angels or the demons? And if you multiply that out through a half dozen or, or 12 different situations in Milford or Syracuse or North Webster, New Paris, how does that affect the whole community? If you multiply that out through the state, through the country. So my point is, as we look at this, this passage this morning, is that good and evil are worked out in our relationships based upon how we respond in our relationships in righteousness or in sin, whether we choose God's way or the other way. So let's open to our text. Let's start with 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. That scripture is handy dandy right on top of your, um, your bulletin there, or you can follow along the screen or open your Bible. 1 Peter 3, 8. Several words, we're going to take time for all five. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind. Unity of mind. What do you think that means? Does it mean that in order to be a healthy Wawasee Bible, we need to agree on every single thing, all 150 of us or whatever. We need to have the same favorite color, same favorite food, same favorite college football team. Let's start with the college football team since I brought it up. So shout out, who's going to be, we have to agree, OK? Who's going to be our favorite college football team? What? Huskers. Ohio State. OK, I'm good with Ohio State. Since there's no other offers, we're going to go with Ohio State. Thank you. It's too late. We've already agreed. In order to have unity mind, we're not going to take any more offers. But you get the idea. Like for the parking lot we just discussed, I would imagine that no one in this room would, would disagree that you know, we, could, we could use a new parking lot. That's the existing one. I would also imagine that we all might have different ideas about the financial number or how or when it should be done. Should we pay it off completely? Or no, no, we should do it, to, we should do it immediately so we don't have to drive in that gravel. But unity of mind means that we agree that we need a parking lot. Unity of mind, a couple of illustrations. Let's say a, a car is stuck in the snow. There's six people there. And the, 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 the unity, the unanimous decision of the mind is that we need to get this car out of the snow. But if only three people are pushing, two people are talking, and the sixth person is looking at their social media, that's not unity of mind. Unity of mind would be all six are pushing. Now, does it, does it mean that all six of those people are equally strong? No. Three out of the six might be stronger than the other three. But the point is, they're all pushing. That's unity of mind. When it comes to the Bible, unity of mind means that we agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that forgiveness and salvation is found in him alone. 
unity of mind would be agreeing that, that Jesus can make anyone a new person. Unity of mind also would mean if it looks like in marriage, like in marriage you might, a husband and wife, they, don't, they may disagree on a lot of things, but they can have unity of mind if they say, we're sticking this out till death do us part. Unity of mind for parents may be different ideas like, well, I think we should have the public school. I think, no, I think we should have homeschool or I think we should do something in between, maybe a private school where father and mother can have dis different viewpoints, but unity of mind is that we want the best for our son. We want our daughter to know Jesus. That's our top priority. We want them to have a good education. We want them to learn and grow in an environment that's best for them. They may have differences of opinion how to get there, but unity of mind is that we want the best for our son or daughter. So I want you to be thinking about specific people. And I want you to think right now, there's a place for you to write it down in your outline, but God's word is meant to be applied to real life. So what relationship do you want to pray for, work for greater unity of mind today? Just, in fact, let's just bow our heads just for a moment, just so there's no distraction. Just pray and ask, Lord, who do you want me to grow in unity of mind? Maybe it's your, your marriage, maybe, it, or be renewed in your unity of mind. Maybe it's a, a coworker, maybe it's your, your team at work, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your extended family. And just renewing yourself in that disagreements will come, but... Lord, help us to have unity of mind. Just pray and think about that. Write a name down. Think of a specific relationship. Amen. So, coming back, the next word. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Sympathy. The word sympathy means to suffer with, to suffer alongside of. Isaiah 53.3 is a great comforting verse. It says this, he, Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Hebrews 4.15 says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The good news about Jesus, the great news about Jesus is that he knows. He knows what it's like to be you. He knows what it's, your, your trials, your temptations, your sufferings, your pain, your sorrows, Jesus knows. He's able to sympathize with you. He's able to suffer alongside. He knows your suffering. The devil will always tell you that you're a freak, that you're crazy, that there's no one like you, that no one else struggles the way you do, no one else thinks the way you do. You're alone. You better not tell anybody. You better just gut it out and try to do it yourself. Keep it to yourself. No one will understand. People will laugh. They won't be able to figure you out. It'll be embarrassing. You're all alone. 
Jesus always says, you're not alone. I know you can trust me. I've been there. I'll see you through this. Trust me, trust a brother, trust a sister. You're not the only one who thinks that way. You're not the only one who's ever suffered that. Others before you have experienced the same thing, and I pulled them through, and I'll pull you through. It's the exact opposite. In our society, we often try to live by these mantras that just, you can do it alone, believe in yourself, keep it yourself, gut it out. That is not the Christian way of living. God made us to lean on each other and to depend upon each other. How do you become a sympathetic person? It's through your own sufferings. As bad as it is, none of us likes to experience pain and sorrow, grief, suffering, trials. But it's part of this fallen world. The hammer drops. Sometimes we see it coming. Other times, out of a clear blue sky. But our suffering, oftentimes it feels like it's going to overwhelm us when we're in the midst of a, of a really rough trial. But as God brings us through, then you have something to offer to someone else. Your greatest ministry, your greatest serving, your greatest loving, your greatest helping of other people almost always comes through what you have suffered. When you, 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 your suffering is something precious and valuable in God's sight. It's what you have to offer to other people. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And he, he has that suffering, his death, his blood to offer to you and I for life. It's what he gives to us freely to receive of. In like fashion, as God brings us through our trials, our suffering, it's what we then present and offer to others as well. Four quick ways. This could be a long list, but I'll just give four quick ways to be sympathetic. Number one, don't try to fix people. I, I look back my early years as, as a pastor, and I, I just tried to fix people immediately. Just read this Bible verse. Just read your Bible and pray, and you'll be all better. Just, just have faith. And I think it was more a matter of I was uncomfortable with other people's suffering. And for my own sake, I just wanted it just to just get better so I, I could relax at night and think that God had healed you. But sometimes God takes a long time with all of us. He brings us through slowly. There may be a time for us to offer advice and counsel, but don't go into it trying to follow these three easy steps and you should be better. And why aren't you better yet? Don't resist the urge to try to fix people. Don't make someone else's suffering make you uncomfortable. Just come alongside them. Number two, just try to listen to people. Just listen to people. Hey, tell me how you're really doing. And if they don't want to talk, then just, just be with them. Just be with them in a slow, slow manner. Linger, pat them on the shoulder, let them know that you're there. Just listen. Resist immediately telling your story about how you suffered something similar. Because even if it is something similar, I mean, we all, a person's pain is their pain. And you don't want to make, sometimes you can accidentally make light of it by too quickly telling us, like, here's my story. 
But just sometimes just listen as a way of coming alongside someone and entering into their suffering. Uh, number three, uh, appropriate physical touch. And I'm, all, I'm well aware of COVID and, and regardless of COVID, whatever pandemics come or go, God has made us that sometimes we need to physically touch each other in a non-romantic, appropriate, life-giving way. That we come along, I mean, there's those Bible verses about greeting one another with a holy kiss, and I'm certainly not advocating that, but that was appropriate to that culture that they greeted one another. James 5.16 said, uh, let the elders lay hands on the sick person. Lay hands on a sick person, you catch that? They might, what might happen, but for, and pray for healing. Jesus over and over and over again touches sick people. I'm not advocating recklessness that we don't wash our hands or anything like that, but God's truth is that sometimes sick people need to be touched as a sign that God loves you, that God is real and I'm real and I'm touching you on behalf of God and praying for you. That there's a place. It's why we shake hands, why we hug as expressions of I love you and I care about you. So there's a time and a place for appropriate physical touch as a way of saying that I feel your pain. I care about you. And lastly, praying with people. Praying with people is connecting people to God. There's the two of you connecting. You're connecting to God. Praying people, and you don't have to pray like a pastor. You don't have to pray like a theologian. It could be short, quick sentence prayers. Lord, help us. Lord, heal so-and-so. Lord, carry so-and-so through this trial. Just prayer has to be normal for us. Not just in our heads, but just praying with people. Lord, help this person. Lord, strengthen this person. Just short, quick prayers, just as a way of reminding people that God does care. And connecting people to God, and you connect with each other. You suffer alongside each other. Now, we're not going to pray every single time, but just, I'm just going to give you just a few moments. Just write a name down, or at least think of a name. Pray and ask, Lord, who do you want me to suffer alongside of? Even if you are in the midst of a trial, it can help you to focus on someone else's pain. God calls us to be sympathetic. Just think for a moment on a person you can come alongside and suffer a little bit with them, show them love. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. You can't pick your brother or sister. You can pick your friends, you can't pick your brothers. You can't lose your brother or sister. They're gonna be your brother and sister. The next admonition for us in our relationships to advance God's kingdom is to regard one another, to live out brotherly, sisterly love toward each other. That we are a family no matter what. Therefore, we can have disagreements. We can express ourselves and we're safe because we're family. Nothing's gonna change that fact, that truth. Brotherly love is talking about loyalty, steadfastness, 
The Bible talks in Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times our brother or sisters born for adversity. Meaning that especially in the hard times, that's what we're here for. That's why we're family, is to be there for each other in challenges. Think about a person, just uh, think about maybe our, our church family. That these, we are, we are a family bound by the blood of Jesus. You say, well, these aren't my, this isn't my blood family. Well, we, in a way it is. It is, we're bound by the blood of Jesus. And so we are a blood family. And I'll tell you this, if, if, you're, if you're close with your church family, a lot of, sometimes your brothers and sisters in Christ are closer than a brother or sister who maybe doesn't know Jesus because you have that great, the greatest of all common denominators in Christ and that spiritual bond. Who does God want you to have brotherly love, sisterly love for today? Pause. Think of someone. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. You see, this is like a crescendo, like just a, a beautiful song here. The, no one does relationships like Christ. And nextly, a tender heart. What's a tender heart? Does that mean, like Tim Stefan over here, that you're supposed to uh, go home today, turn on the Hallmark Channel, watch a bunch of Hallmark movies with a big box of tissues? How about it, Jeremy? Is that what, is that what we're talking about, having a tender heart? Just cry away? Hallmark movies, I think they all turn out just fine. No. It means having just, just a sense, the, the biblical word is from your gut, from your bowels, that you, you feel something. You're driving down the, 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 I was driving down Milford Syracuse Road, and I don't always do this, but I stopped because the guy, he just looked, I mean, this was two months ago, it was cold, and he didn't even say thank you when I, when I dropped him off. But uh, I said I couldn't resist. Sometimes I do, but see, I mean, how many of us, when we, when we see someone who's just broken down and it's readily apparent by their hair, by their clothing, by God is so, if we have Christ in us, there should be something registered. The opposite of a tender heart is, is epitomized by such expressions of they don't deserve it. No one helped me. No one asked if I needed help. Why should we help that guy? He did it to himself. No one ever asked me for help. Why did anyone think of me? That's why I'm not going to help him. And having a tender heart does not mean being soft on sin or just blowing away someone's bad choices. But it does mean at the slightest, slightest sign of remorse, we're ready to forgive, we're ready to help. Hey, you come back to me an inch, I'll come back to you a foot. It means a tender heart that we're ready to like, yes, God, yes, let's forgive. Yes, let's be friends. Yes, let's work on this together. A quick, 
tender heart. Core value number three for YWC Bible says all people matter. All people matter for those who make every right choice, who follow every command of God, they matter, who show up every Sunday morning, all people matter. People who make every single wrong choice in life, all people matter. People who blow up their life over and over and over again, who stumble in the same sin over and over again, all people matter. In everywhere in between. See, for us as Christians, we can't, we can't say they don't deserve it. We can't ever say that. Because God never says that with you and me. Our very faith, if, if we were to, you and I were to get what we deserve, we'd all be going to hell. None of us would be forgiven. Remember, two weeks coming, Jesus died on the cross. We didn't deserve that. Jesus gave us forgiveness of sins. You and I didn't deserve that. And so if we're following, if Christ is in us, we're, we constantly have to follow that. I don't deserve it, and neither do they, but I'm going to help them anyway. Because Jesus, we didn't deserve it, and he helped us anyway. Who do you need to have a tender heart toward? Maybe it's someone you've had to forgive over and over again. Maybe there's someone in your life you've had to over, you've forgiven them so many times you've lost track. And your heart is like cold, comatose toward them. If they were to apologize to you today and call you on the phone, you'd be like, okay, heard that before. But God says, yes, for your sake, not necessarily for theirs, for your sake and your relationship with God, have a tender heart anyway. And only Jesus can give you that tender heart because I know, I run out of it. I run out of compassion, right? How many of us run out of compassion toward people when they make mistakes over and over again? God doesn't run out of compassion. He is limitless. So we cry out, Lord, give us tender heart. Take a moment, fill in the blank, pause. Tender heart. Who, who do you want to ask God to give you, renew you in a tender heart for today? Lastly, in verse 8, wrapping up, just verse 8, not the sermon. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. A humble mind, what does this mean? It means in perfection that we look at Jesus. We keep our eyes on him, and we're aware that we're not like Jesus yet, right? All of us are a work in progress. When we fall short, say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me to keep growing. Make me more like yourself. Help, help me keep putting sin to death and being alive to you. There are two traps. You fall off on either side when you take your, mind, your eyes off Jesus. When you look around at other people and you say, I, you know, I'm not the top of the pack, but I'm, I'm certainly not at the bottom. I'm doing pretty good. And you have false confidence that you, you, you think you're, you're okay and you don't need to really follow after Jesus because you're doing pretty good compared to other people. That's one trap. The other is if you fall off the other end and say, man, I'm, I'm like second to last place. Like everyone is like, seems to like have their Christianity together and 
and I'm a, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. Oh, people knew about me, and you're just overwhelmed with shame and guilt. A humble mind, a true humble mind, you just, as best you can, you keep coming back to Jesus. Jesus accepts you. Hey, if you're just saying, Lord, forgive me, I want to, you're winning. You're winning the race. God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus, help me grow more like you. You are winning. But if you're saying and thinking in your heart, I'm doing pretty good because that's losing. And if you're thinking in your heart, I'm such a failure, that's not winning. God does not call you to think that way toward yourself. He loves you. He didn't die so you could beat yourself up and tell yourself what a failure and live in shame and guilt. No. A humble mind, you just keep your eyes on Jesus as the author and perfecter of your faith. He loves you. Don't fall off into false confidence. Don't fall off into guilt and shame. Righteous relationships. Bless rather than curse. Verse nine, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. How hard is that? I mean, it's easy for the Bible to say it, but think about when someone has lashed out at you. Think about when someone's insulted you. Have you ever been insulted? And there's just that, oh, you just want to give it back immediately. That's what you most often see on TV, in the movies, on the news. Is just, and that's what you ought to do. Stand up for yourself. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just give it right back. That's what a, a, a strong person does. That's what a man does. That's what a real woman does. You give it right back and they'll learn their lesson. They'll, they won't insult you anymore. They won't try that one again. You'll let them know, oh yeah, evil for evil. But what happens? What happens to your heart? What happens to your relationship with God? when you return evil for evil for insult or insult. By return for evil for evil, we become evil. The, the word for evil mean, means evil moral choices. It means filth, poison. So you go poison for poison, you're still poisoned. Venom for venom, you still got the, you still got, you just injected yourself with venom. So the Bible, let's look again at verse 9. It says, but on the contrary, you followers of Jesus, but on the contrary, you Christians, bless. The word bless meaning to praise, speak well of what's beneficial. It's like a, a reverse, kind of like your, the football game where like, they're throwing a pass to the quarterback or something like that. It's totally unexpected. It's not what the normal thing that happens. It's, it's like a trick play. No, on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. See, the line of thinking is this. We got Easter coming up. That God has forgiven you all your sins. And what's more, let me put it this way. You asked Jesus to forgive you, right? And then is that the only thing you've ever asked him? What else did you ask him for? You asked him for forgiveness, and 
You've asked him to bless you in some way. Uh, a job, family, your children, uh, your friendships, right? We, we, did any of us stop asking God for things other than just, we just, oh, me, I just asked for forgiveness. I'll never ask him for anything else again. No, of course not. All of us, we, we ask for forgiveness, then we ask for more blessing. So that's what this is about. So when people treat you like we treated Christ, we forgive them, and then we also, we try to bless them. Now for me personally, you know, I usually have to start off when these situations happen by, I can't, it's hard in the moment, there's a wrestling through, there's a lot of anger, but I usually start just by praying. And I'm like, Lord, just take this anger out of my heart. Take it away, Lord. And there's a wrestling through. I forgive them. Help me to forgive them, Lord. And then when I can start to pray blessing on them, then I can, when I see them the next time, I, I oftentimes have the ability just to love them and to bless them. You know, when I was working at the factory, Evidently, there was a guy who didn't like me, a guy who was at the, uh, one of the saws. So twice a week, I had to go to him to give an order uh, for materials I needed cut. And so first time I walked up to him, I walk up to him, he just starts cursing at me. And didn't even look at me, didn't even look up. So I just put my paper down near his saw. And he just, and so that type of thing happened like the first several times. And, you know, and just, you know, I wanted to return it so badly. And, you know, if I'd been his boss, I probably would have fired him. But, you know, as a co-worker, new to the, the plant, I mean, uh, but just getting kind of used to it. And then ever, I mean, just saying thanks, have a great day, somewhat sarcastically in response to his cursing. And then slowly, bit by bit, kind of thanks, have a great day, until the day. Now, it doesn't always work this way, but it did. Until the day I looked up from my workstation, and he's standing there, he's saying, hey, what do you need? I'll cut your material first. So it's like, this is more like it. And then at least twice that I remember clearly, I looked up from my workstation, and he's pushing a cart and bringing me my supplies. Doesn't always work that well. But I will tell you this. Even if they don't end up becoming your friend, it you keep your heart free. You push back darkness by holding to good and not going toward evil with them. And sometimes you turn your, your enemies into friends by not returning evil for evil. Let me tell you this, people will respect that. People, when they see Christ, when they see Christ in real life like that, people take notice. All right, righteous relationships, bless rather than curse, and lastly, and receive God's strength. Verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Guard your mouth, guard your mouth, guard your mouth. Just like in like the Star Wars movies, you've got the lightsabers and if they're blue, what does that mean? They're like on the side of good. If they're red, they're bad. And are, just think of your mouth as this weapon for good, for righteousness, or our mouths are like these weapons that just create terrible things that cut and scar people, or your mouth is like a surgeon, like a surgeon's scalpel that, that takes away infection, that brings life and healing. Guard your mouth, guard your mouth. 
Keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You need to see your mouth as this, this powerful tool. I mean, the Bible talks about death and life are in the power of your mouth. You can build people up or you can tear them down with your mouth. So just think, the greatest reality in verses uh, 10 through 12 is, is we live in a world of good and evil, of righteousness and sin, of, of darkness and light, of God versus Satan, that our little mouths have a role to play in that great war, that we can live, give life and joy and peace to those around us, or we could take it all away. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Again, we have good and evil choices all the time. That that's, that's true reality. That's why we need the blood of Jesus. We need to keep coming to Jesus. Lord, help me. Lord, strengthen me that I might be an instrument of good. And lastly, at the end of verse 11, let him seek peace and pursue it. Look at those two words, seek and pursue. These are strong, aggressive words in the Hebrew. They mean to like hunt after. Um, the, the word for pursue means to, to hunt after. It's a hunting word, to chase down. The word for seek is used in other places in the Bible. Uh, for instance, when the soldiers are looking for baby Jesus, it says like uh, King Herod had his soldiers go and circ search diligently throughout Bethlehem. They were looking for baby Jesus. It's like a, a careful, thorough, going house to house type search. So these words are seek peace and pursue it. Do they mean like, oh, there's a, a conflict there. I'm just gonna, and hope it goes away. No, these words, you and I are to be on the side of good. And God is interested in peace through his son, Jesus. And who better to help peace than the followers of Jesus who we have the mutual bond of forgiveness. We are to be proactive. Well, I'll, I'm just gonna wait till their marriage totally blows up and then you know, maybe I'll try to pick up the pieces. Or I'm gonna really wait till people start quitting at work and yelling at each other and then maybe you know I'll try to like pat someone on the back this verse is license that for you and me as followers of Christ we're to be to those who you know if gossip is going in the wrong direction we try to say something positive or try to shut it down we're, we're not we're against slander we're for peace we're to be those who, who seek and pursue peace. Matthew 5, 9 says, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, happy, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You and me are to be those who seek and hunt proactively, we take steps, we pray, we talk that way, we use our mouths to, to work for good against evil and work for peace, for the glory of God. So think of a situation 
a person, maybe it's you, maybe it's a conflict that you're not a part of that you wanna, you wanna help, see what you can do to bring peace in that. But let me hit the pause button one last time and think of that situation that God perhaps wants you to be proactive, to seek and pursue peace in. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As we wrap up this little section here on our relationships and seeking to be instruments of good for the kingdom of God in all our little relationships, in all our little whether we're at school, at Wawasee High School, whether our places of, of where we live, in our homes, uh, where we work, that we are part of this great reality of good versus evil. And this last verse 12 says that God's not indifferent. He is, he's on the side of good. When people insult us, when they throw evil at you, this last verse is a reminder that God's not like, so what? I don't care when my children get insulted. Yes, he does care. Look again, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. His ears are open to your prayer when you say, Lord, help me to grow and have a more sympathetic heart. The eyes of the Lord are fully on you. His ears are open when you say, Lord, I'm really struggling to have a tender heart toward this person. His eyes are on you, his ears are open when you say, Lord, this person has really hit me with a load of evil and I'm really struggling, Lord. His ears are open to your, to your prayer and his face is against those. It's a reminder that every sin gets paid for. We hope that people turn to Jesus that for their sins to be paid for. But God, in, even in his love, he's also God of justice and every sin will be paid for. He's against those who are working havoc and destruction and sin and calamity and pain and choosing sin and wickedness and evil all the time. God's not indifferent. He's for the righteous. 1 Peter 2, 24 we saw just a few, couple weeks ago, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So if you're saying, I'm not sure I could do all this in verses eight, nine, and 10, one step at a time, pick out one thing, whether it's sympathy, tender heart, humble mind, Focus on that because of Christ, as you seek Christ, Lord, help me, you can live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you have been healed. As people have sinned against you, in Christ, you find healing in life. Take a new look at some of your old relationships. If you find yourself thinking, I can't ever be sympathetic or... That's just the way that relationship is with that person in my extended family. 
ask God for new faith that yes, God transforms you and he also trans transforms relationships. He transforms and makes marriages new. He, he makes friendships new. He makes families new. He makes extended families new. We can believe him for that because he has died. We can, we can live to righteousness. Let's go to prayer right now and the worship team's gonna come. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. I'm just give you a moment or two. Pray yourself and just again, Maybe that one person, or maybe that one way. Don't be overwhelmed, but just pray and ask Lord, pray and ask the Lord right now, just one person or one way to apply today's message and just start from there. Jesus, we just thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you forgive us that you renew us. Thank you that you're sympathetic toward us. Thank you that you have tender hearts toward us. Give us humble minds. Give us unity of mind. Lord, help us to, to forgive when insulted. Help us to let go when people give us evil and to bless instead. Only through your power, Lord. Only through your power. Help us, in Jesus' name, amen.